The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jalen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Right now, I want to get into this with you and uh, wondering how many of you are having trouble sleeping um, because my sleep has just been something awful recently. And it's never really good to begin with, but the last uh, little bit, it's been even worse. Uh, For those of you who aren't great sleepers to begin with, the strain and worry over what we're dealing with, um, you know, is adding to the challenge of getting a good night's sleep. Everyone's life, as we know, has been disrupted and the stress from that can cause some real grief when when it comes to getting rest, Dr. Atul Kular is an Edmonton psychiatrist who specializes in sleep. He is also senior consultant with MedSleep, a group of sleep clinics, and he joins us this afternoon. Doctor, welcome to the show. Hi, Jalen. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you so much, and thanks for joining us this afternoon. Um, can you give us an idea how stress and anxiety impacts our sleep? Well, I think you alluded to it in your intro quite nicely. If you're not a great sleeper to begin with, this just aggravates it. And it's sort of the fear of the unknown. There's anxiety everywhere you turn. It's almost traumatizing even watching the news or listening to the news of all the change. And all this kind of creates a state that's very, in the brain, it's very inconsistent with sleep. There is a lot of talk. You know, there's nights that you can go without sleep and you feel really tired for a couple of days. What's what's the difference between not getting a good night's rest and insomnia? And that's a great question because a lot of us have had a, uh, not a good night's rest. But insomnia is a consistent, ongoing inability to sleep even though you are giving yourself the opportunity. So, you know, it's uh, if you look at the criterion, it's about three times a week for about three months and they have all and so it's just the severity and the consistency of it and it just doesn't go away and it gets in the way of your life was wondering if there is criteria like you know what what do you have to hit to you know say that you have insomnia so three times a week for about three months you said or a month yeah uh, three months that's sort of the definition so there's insomnia symptoms as well as the disorder which i just described and so it's a little bit of a chinese menu approach but that's you know and people are aren't neatly put into boxes but that's a rough sort of criterion but anytime the sleep is interfering with your life function then you could, uh, or not being able to sleep or not sleeping enough, um, you could argue that it is a, a, a diagnosable disorder. So, Dr. Kular, when we look at um, fear and stress and insomnia, what is the connection there? I think from, from what I've read, it, it does go back to, you know, the way that humans just evolved over the years. Can you kind of shine a light on that for us? And that's very correct because it's almost like if you look at the new research, they're almost differentiating two big chunks of insomnia. There's the acute insomnia, which you just described mm-hmm. as evolutionary and as kind of a fear and anxiety response, but then that can, can become conditioned and chronic and so you're always hyper aroused and you don't know how to turn off so some of it is evolutionarily normal to be hyper aroused otherwise we would all been eaten by bears and that can cross (laughs) over to the sleep it's just the difference between acute which we've all had and then Mm -hmm. going on to sort of this chronic which is much more difficult to deal with 
So is that that's kind of yeah, a little bit with that you know we've heard like fight or flight and the adrenaline running through our system it's 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 you know kind of it has to do with that right exactly and it becomes habituated and you don't have the ability to turn it off and so if you have a little bit of sort of insomnia difficulties you, know, you add you know this sort of pandemic and you know acute can quite quickly become chronic or chronic mild chronic can become worse Dr. Kular, there's always um, there's always kind of like a, a a list of good sleep hygiene, the things that you should be doing to get a good night's rest, and we can get into that. But when it comes to dealing with what we're dealing with right now, with you know the added stress, with um, maybe worry about uh, your job, about a loved one, whatever it is, is there something that you would also add to that list? What should we be doing right now? Maybe prioritizing it to try to get a good night's sleep? Absolutely. Uh, so I think um, a couple of things that are very pandemic specific is getting enough light, uh, yeah. getting outside as much as you can, you know, obviously following social distancing, but light is a big anchor of our sleep cycle. And if you are cooped up indoors all day, you know, they've shown this, you know, people, they've done experiments where people were in caves that didn't get light for a couple of months, your sleep cycle definitely tends to drift. So that's one thing. The second thing is exercise because that can all, all that can always help sleep as well. And I think the third thing is really kind of um, streamlining your consumption of media and you know COVID nineteen news because on some level you do it too much and it become can can become quite traumatizing for some people. Well, yeah, there's been nights where it's, you know, come 9 o'clock in the evening and we switch on CNN or whatever news channel it is on. And I've, I had to turn to my husband and said, I can't watch this anymore. Like, I need to be able to turn my brain off at some exactly. point. And, and I'm finding that turning the brain off it has become more and more difficult as I get older. Is there a tie between aging and, and sleep? There definitely is. Your sleep is not as resilient as you get older. Um, and uh, you know it doesn't bounce back as well. It doesn't sort of rebound as well. But when you look actually at the studies, it's not necessarily age that worsens our sleep. It's all the other things that come with aging, such as pain, medical conditions, medications. Um, but definitely, the sleep uh, biologically is not as resilient as age, so you can't do you can't have the same bad habits as you did when you were twenty. And Dr. <laughs> yeah, should have told me that a long time ago. <laughs> uh, Dr. Kular, you, you mentioned about uh, the importance of light and how that impacts with, with sleep and getting enough and that sort of thing. I've heard uh, a lot of people talk about the benefits of using, if you're not able to get enough light, um, to use those lights that you can buy at the drugstore. I have one upstairs in, in one of my rooms. Does that work? Does that help? Or do you need like light light? You need sun, vitamin D? You know, it definitely does help. It's just uh, a lot weaker. So basically, okay. if you look at it, even on a cloudy day, being outside or a cloudy day like today is uh, four to five times more powerful than your light box. So you simply don't have to be outside as long. So it will help, but not as much. And if it's a sunny day, and this is why there's no substitute for just getting natural light and getting outside, it's about it's five to ten times more powerful than your light box. So light box can definitely help. It's just not particularly efficient. 
Okay, Dr. Kular joining us this afternoon, um, and we're talking about sleep, and I and I wanted to talk about sleep um, and, and the challenges with sleep when it's, you know, tied to the pandemic, but I wanted to talk about sleep in general as well, but just a, a couple of more questions. We're seeing that um, uh, maybe a lot more folks are maybe drinking a little bit more, maybe relaxing with, you know, other substances or trying to relax with other substances, that sort of stuff, that consumption of that um initial indications show that that might be up um we hear over and over again certainly with alcohol it does not give you a good rest can you tell us why yeah so alcohol is very deceptive it is one of the worst things you can do for your sleep because it does definitely put you to sleep so it feels like it works but the sleep you get is not as restful and after the alcohol wears off it's much more it's much more broken up and it's not as restorative the next day so it's a deceptive part uh with cannabis it's a little more uh unclear as a rule cannabis doesn't help sleep but if you have numerous if you have some some certain medical conditions that are impairing your sleep uh that cannabis can help sometimes temporarily can help your sleep but on the average it tends not to but again it's deceptive because it puts you to sleep Interesting. Um, can other issues like sleep apnea be aggravated by stress and anxiety? So if someone has sleep apnea right now and maybe they are feeling a bit more stressed because of what's going on, could that condition um, be aggravated by sleep the situation that we're in? Is- that's a good question. The sleep apnea itself probably wouldn't be, but if you okay. have more insomnia, it's more difficult to have your treatment, for example, yeah. and that would make it worse. If you are drinking more alcohol, that clearly leads to an increase in it. So it's kind of an indirect worsening. It's not going to directly worsen it, but it can have all sorts of indirect worsening. Are people, and I've read some articles on it about people reporting more bad dreams during all of this as well. Have you read about that? Have you have you heard about that at all? Oh, absolutely, because bad dreams can be a sign of stress. It's the brain sign that, you know, things aren't happy, they're not settled. A lot of times you have to, you, we take our worries to bed. And, you know, nightmares are a very nonspecific symptom. But, you know, if you're having them recurrently, it usually indicates that uh, there's some sort of anxiety, worry or even, you know, in the case of pandemic, for some people, uh, a trauma. Dr. Kuller, what's the difference between a bad dream uh, and a nightmare and night terrors? Uh, so it's a, another good question. Basically, a bad dream is something you have every once in a while. You sort of shake it off. A nightmare is something that is very sort of disruptive to you and quite vivid often, right? And it's, it kind of okay. uh, happens sort of consistently. Uh, a night terror is much different than a nightmare. What a night terror is, you wake up and are quite terrified, but often don't remember why. So that's a little bit different. That's more related to sleepwalking and confused when people do sort of odd things at night, like eat or walk around or that sort of thing. A night terror is a variant of that, whereas a bad dream and a nightmare are kind of one of the same thing. It's just a matter of severity. When you're when you when you um, maybe have someone in your house that uh, does you know, maybe sleepwalks or, or has night terrors, what is the best way to to deal with that? Because, you know, if they're doing something while they're still in a, in a state that is not fully awake, is not fully asleep, what, what should you do? Usually the rule of thumb is to redirect them gently back to the bed. Um, is, 
usually the best way. Um, and a lot of times they'll never remember that it even happened. But if someone is having night terrors and recurrent sleepwalking, you know, more than I would say once, you know, a month or once every couple of weeks, it should sort of be assessed, um, you know, by a physician. And alcohol is a very big trigger of you know, oh, really? having night terrors and sleepwalking. It's one of the biggest, alcohol and sleep deprivation. So fix huh. those two things, and if they don't go away, then they should be assessed. Oh, Dr. Kular, I'm loving this conversation. How long can a person go without sleep for? That's a good question. You know, you will eventually, the body will shut down. I think it's about seven or eight days off the top of my head. Oh. But see, the thing is, a lot of people think they're not getting sleep, but they're actually yes. skimming. So they're not perceiving their sleep, but the brain is resting. Otherwise, if you go completely without sleep deprivation, I think it's about eight, nine days before all your body systems start to shut uh, shut down. I'm not sure. But it's, you know, it's definitely not good for your health to have reduced sleep. Now, I have a book here in my office. I think it's called, what is it? I'm turning around trying to find it right now. It's called The 4-Hour Body, and it was one of those ones that I read at one point. So, no, if you sleep in, you know, hunks of four, that that's good enough. And I know some people say that they can sleep, get get by on their day with, you know, four to six hours. Others saying, you know, the recommended is eight. What what do you tell us to do? So basically it's a bell curve, right? And it's centered around eight. But, you know, the majority of people are probably between seven and eight and a quarter. Now, there are 5% of people um, that need less than six and a half. Everyone thinks they're in that group, but they're not. It's also 5% of people that need more than a nine. And sometimes we see those clinically. What you're describing, too, is those four-hour chunks. That actually, it's not four per 24. It's getting it, it's called polyphasic sleep. It's to have like a three-hour chunk and then a four-hour chunk and then a three-hour chunk, you know, kind of to chunk it up. And, you know, and you they've shown, some studies have shown that over maybe 30, 40 days, you can get away with less sleep if you do it that way. But that takes an inordinate amount of discipline, and a lot of people simply can't do that. Interesting. Okay, I want to just cycle back to something that you had touched on when I had asked you about how long people can go without sleep. And you said you, you suspect that while some people believe they're not getting any sleep, the body is actually getting some. Um, I have found it seems at times that, uh, you know, you go to bed and I call it loud dreams. They're not nightmares, they're not night terrors or anything like that. I call them loud dreams where it doesn't feel like I'm asleep, but I'm obviously doing something because I'm having these dreams. They're not restful at all um what is that about yeah so i think you know it's basically you're not you're you're skimming you're not getting a deep restful sleep so it's a matter of sleep and then how restful the sleep is so like you said if it's punctuated by bad dreams you're almost feeling you're up half the night again you, you are sleeping but often what we see in a sleep study is just you're just going in and out and not in the mm. deep stages of sleep. And it just looks like almost like a pebble skimming across, you know, um, a pond. And uh, so you're getting sleep, but not in a sustained, restful fashion. Um, before I let you go, so um, to get that 
you know, good night's sleep. There's so many things that have been suggested about, you know, making sure that you turn off the screens an hour before bed, um, make sure that your bedroom is used just for sleep. Uh, you talked about uh, light, um, the, the importance of, of getting that uh, light and, you know, sticking to consistent sleep and wake times, exercise, that sort of thing. What is your advice to people who, you know, right now, uh, anytime, to be honest with you, having a challenge getting to sleep, you're tired, you think, okay, I'm going to go to bed, it's 9.30 or 10 o'clock, you're still awake at at midnight, at, at 1 o'clock, you're thinking, oh, I'm going to take a, a sleepy time or, you know, an over-the-counter sleep med or something like that. What do you tell them? What should we do? What's the advice there? So you hit on a lot of points there. So I think the first key point is not to lie back bed awake because that will create, that will turn an acute insomnia into a chronic. Because then you toss, turn, get frustrated. So it's important not to lie in bed awake, not to do other non-sleep or non-intimacy activities in the bed or keep them very limited. So that would be point one. Don't watch the clock because then you're just going to focus and get more frustrated. And the third thing is most of like you know, the natural ones like chamomile, lavender, these sorts of things can be quite safe. But a lot of the over-the-counter sleeping pills such as Unisom, um, mm-hmm. Tylenol PM actually have very dangerous ingredients in it. So if you were requiring uh, at the point where you're requiring taking something to get some sleep, that would... Um, bear sort of an assessment and you can do a self-assessment not just behaviors like you said earlier about your medical health and your mental health because that's often the first sign that the body's breaking down is not sleeping you know onset of anxiety depression pain other medical issues so taking an honest look at that is something also that is very helpful so is that something that you do if you have a client coming in to um, med sleep um, again sleep clinics you go through all of that first and try to figure that out and you know Absolutely. how much you drink in all yeah 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 and so there's two there's two dimensions and you nailed it right there it's um, assessing all the other factors that could be contributing and then looking at what can be done in terms of the sleep habits the behavioral training for sleep itself so it's almost like those two are done uh, together. Oh, I miss the days when I could just close my eyes and fall asleep at any time that I wanted to, Dr. Kular, I have to tell you. I want to thank you for this and thank you for the suggestions and the advice. And hopefully um, a lot of my listeners will get a better night's sleep tonight or at least start working towards it. Thank you so much. No problem. Happy to help. You take care and have yeah. a good weekend. Yeah, you too, Dr. Atul Kular, joining us this afternoon again, a, a psychiatrist, and I love that side of it. A psychiatrist specializes, who specializes in, in the management of sleep, mood, and anxiety disorders, as well as sleep apnea. Um, he's a senior consultant uh, for for med sleep which is a group of sleep clinics uh, as well have any of you ever done that gone through the sleep clinic um, whether it's at the hospital or a private facility i was supposed to go a couple of years ago and i never i never ended up going for some reason i've had some people in my life loved ones who have done it um, let me know your experience and as well